This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. In January 2002, one man set out to accomplish what no other person had managed to do before, expose the truth of the Bohemian Club, a secluded, highly secretive, men-only club with headquarters in the Redwoods of California. On his quest, he bounded through the forest. His moniker, the Phantom Patriot, was painted in red across his chest. He wore a rubber skeleton mask to protect his identity. To protect his life, he wore a bulletproof vest. He was expecting resistance. He carried a shotgun assault rifle hybrid, a sword, a pistol, a crossbow, a knife, and a homemade bomb launcher. What he wasn't prepared for was the dark when his flashlight went out. There was a reason the club made their home on a 2,700-acre, highly protected, private parcel of the Redwoods. They don't want to be found. But when morning came, the phantom patriot couldn't believe where he was. In the heart of the grove, a 30-foot stone owl stood before him. It was the center of their ceremonies. What atrocities were plotted or committed on these grounds? The blueprints for the atomic bomb, strategy for a new world order, pagan rituals, child abuse, and human sacrifice— they had to be stopped. So, the Phantom Patriot set fire to their wreck hall. 
He was arrested shortly after, and his bail was set at $500,000. His real name? Richard McCaslin. The 37-year-old told reporters exactly what he was hoping to achieve. I felt if physical damage was inflicted upon them and it got enough attention, the American people would rise up. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a podcast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events in search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our first episode on the Bohemian Grove, home to the Bohemian Club, an exclusive secret gentleman's fraternity founded in 1872. Each July, the club hosts a two-week festival that could be described as a bacchanal for the world's most prominent and powerful men. This week, we'll explore what little we know about the club's founding and the events that take place inside the Grove. We'll also examine those men and women who continue to protest the club's existence, as well as the journalists and reporters who have desperately tried to gain entrance. Next week, we'll discuss some conspiracy theories surrounding the Bohemian Club. Were they responsible for the Manhattan Project, which developed the atomic bomb? Are they creating a new world order for global dominance? And do they actually practice human sacrifice? The signs are posted everywhere. Private property, no trespassing, security cameras line the trees, metal gates block the road, guards man the outposts at all hours. The Bohemian Club has made one thing crystal clear. If you are caught on their land, they will have you arrested. And under United States law, they have every right to do so. But it's exactly this level of security and secrecy that has given rise to suspicion. What happens inside the Bohemian Grove? More importantly, why don't they want the world to know? Here is what we can say for sure. The Bohemian Grove is located in Monterio, California, just a couple miles north of San Francisco. It serves as home to the Bohemian Club, a more than 150-year-old secret fraternity. The property spans 2,700 acres and is located in the heart of the Redwood Forests. There are more than 100 different campsites on the grounds, all of which are situated around a central feature a man-made lake. Watching over the lake is a shrine depicting a 30-foot stone owl 
weathered from age. It sits atop a giant stone staircase nested in the trees and looms over an impressive fire pit. If you want to see the grounds for yourself, have your pocketbook ready, because joining the Bohemian Club is not cheap. The initiation fee alone was $25,000 in 2009, and that's before your annual dues. But money alone won't gain you entry. In order to be considered, you must be recommended by a number of its members, lest your name be relegated to the waitlist, which is rumored to be 15 years long. And of course, you're going to need to be a man. Today, there are somewhere around 2,500 members, some of which are allowed to bring guests of note. We think you'll be familiar with many of the club's members and guests. Names on the list include Hearst, Roosevelt, Eastwood, Twain, Bush, Cronkite, Cheney, Crosby, London, Reagan, Nixon, Ford, Muir, Powell, Rumsfeld, Schwab, Hoover, Scalia, and Kissinger. Membership is so difficult to secure that rumor has it even our current sitting president, Donald Trump, has never been invited. In order to get a sense of just how far the club has come, let's travel back to its founding in San Francisco in 1872. In the late 19th and early 20th century, bohemianism was trending in a big way. A bohemian lifestyle means taking pleasure in art, revelry, and hedonism, and is often associated with frugality, impoverishment, and an anti-establishment worldview. The Bohemians were actors, writers, painters, and musicians who prided themselves on being untethered to worldly possessions. Some might call them hipsters or hippies. In theory, Bohemians were often spiritual. In practice, however, they worshipped indulgence. In 1872, in a dimly lit room in San Francisco, a group of bohemian journalists began hosting gatherings for other like-minded men interested in the arts. But it was mostly an excuse to imbibe while raging against the conservative politics of the day. It wasn't long before their revelry caught the attention of other bargoers, men who saw the good time they were having and asked to partake. Though these new attendees loved hedonism, they shared little else with the Bohemians. Their pockets were lined with money. But why turn them away, especially if they were going to foot the bill? The Bohemian artists dubbed their new friends men of use and referred to themselves as men of talent. The names seemed to suggest a hierarchy of priorities. Talent came first. Money was a systemic convenience, and they were happy to manipulate the system. But whatever their priorities were, they seemed to shift as the Bohemians realized just how much money can actually buy. Their parties became more lavish and, in turn, more desirable. And nothing fuels desire more than exclusivity. You always want what you can't have. 
so the club became more selective and raised their barrier for entry. Sometime around 1887, entrance fees were set at $100 a person, the equivalent of around $2,700 today. Monthly dues were the equivalent of $90. The club seemed to shed all of their bohemian ideals except one, their love of partying. And by 1893, they started renting a portion of the Redwood Forest from the Sonoma Lumber Company to use as a getaway. In 1901, they purchased 160 acres. That parcel of land would eventually expand to the 2,700 acres that it is today. That's 4.2 square miles, more than three times the size of New York's Central Park. Nested within those forested acres are a number of different subcamps. The most important are the main gathering areas. The Grove Stage, a 2,000-seat outdoor amphitheater. The Campfire Circle, a large fire pit surrounded by benches carved from redwoods. The Clubhouse, a multi-purpose entertainment and dining facility. And of course, the heart of it all, the Owl Shrine and the Lake. The facilities only account for a small portion of the Grove's land. Members and guests are free to roam about the forested grounds and lose themselves amongst the trees. There, within the freedom of the forest, far from witness or worry, the debaucheries of the Bohemian Club could become legend. And as the mythos grew, it piqued the interest of some powerful figures. In the early 20th century, attendees started to include men like President Herbert Hoover. And as more attention was paid to the Grove, the club's privacy measures only increased. The press became a distinctly unwelcome guest. All forms of cameras, videos, or tape recordings were banned. Everything that happened in the Grove went entirely off the record. Its members and guests were sworn to secrecy. By 1930, a total media blackout began. And even the official story becomes hearsay. Except for financial records. Thanks to the group's status as a 501c7 social organization, meaning they're actually exempt from federal taxes, their finances have to be available to the public. And those records highlight the irony of the group's bohemian roots. As we've said, the entrance fee is currently set to $25,000. But in 2017, the Bohemian Club's total revenue was just shy of $10 million. Their total assets were more than $20 million. And that's what was reported to the IRS. It's interesting to note that their numbers have remained suspiciously consistent over the years. In 2011, their total revenue was $10 million, and their assets were $18 million. You'd expect peaks and dips as the economy flows and ebbs, but the Bohemian Club's official holdings remain suspiciously steady. And when CEOs, CFOs, and financial executives like billionaire Charles Schwab are members of the club, some question what wealth the Bohemians are hiding overseas or what tax breaks they're able to secure. After all, some of them helped pen the laws. Apart from these financial records, 
Everything else we know is thanks to a few brave men and women who risked their freedom to infiltrate the Bohemian Grove. And some have faced dire consequences for uncovering the secrets. Coming up, the Bohemian Club's bizarre rituals are revealed. Now back to the story. Since its founding in 1872, the Bohemian Club has strayed from some of its frugal anti-establishment ideals. Their private campsite in the Redwood Forest of Monterio, California, is known as The Grove. It has become a getaway for the world's wealthiest and most influential men, billionaires, politicians, and Hollywood elites. The Bohemian Club's largest festivities happened every July over two weeks. But with a media blackout starting sometime around the 1930s, little is known about what actually happens inside the Grove. Naturally, people have become curious. Some curious enough to risk life and limb. For 50 years, almost no attention was paid to the Grove. The only outsiders allowed inside its gates were employees. And the all-male staff members were sworn to secrecy and relegated to designated work areas, like kitchens and laundry rooms, hidden from sight. Then, in 1980, Mary Moore, a local resident of Monterio, began to question what was really going on in her backyard. The existence of the Bohemian Club isn't a secret to locals. Many Monterio residents are employed to staff their events, but all are sworn to secrecy, and few play an active role in their festivities. But when word reached Mary of the caliber of men who were convening in the Grove, she began to have questions. In Mary's words, when powerful people work together, they become even more powerful. They're wealthy and becoming more so, while the middle class is steadily becoming poorer. They control the markets, and they make money whichever way the markets fluctuate. Essentially, Mary saw the secrecy of the Bohemian Club as an assault on democracy. With so many elected officials in the Grove, the American people had a right to know what conversations were happening, and if those conversations were affecting public policy. When she couldn't get any answers, she took action. She founded a group called the Bohemian Grove Action Network, which worked on a bit of reconnaissance. Mary convinced Grove employees to secretly bring her materials, like programs and membership lists. Her house became filled with knickknacks and pamphlets. Anything she could get her hands on from the club, she kept. They were all pieces to a larger story. And the more she learned, the more worried she became. The names on the membership lists were astonishing. So much so that the Bohemian Grove Action Network began organizing protests. At some of her largest demonstrations, hundreds of people joined her at the gates of the Grove. She brought unwanted attention to the club. Press started to take notice, and suddenly, more people got curious. Allegedly, a journalist from Time magazine tried to infiltrate the Grove, disguised as a waiter, possibly with Mary Moore's help. The story, however, never ran. 
Then, in 1989, a reporter for Spy magazine named Philip Weiss managed to sneak into the Grove. He published an article titled Masters of the Universe Go to Camp Inside the Bohemian Grove, based on his experience. Weiss arrived in the camp to witness what is known as a lakeside talk. Every afternoon during the two-week July event, one of the club's members addresses other members about a topic in their field of expertise. Generally, the talks cover politics, the economy, and business. Weiss heard a speech delivered by General John Chain. At the time, Chain was the commander-in-chief of the United States Strategic Air Command, an organization in charge of two of the three factions of the military's strategic nuclear forces. Chain lobbied club members to help fund a B-2 aerial bomber program. And whether it was thanks to his lakeside talk or not, we know it got funded. In fact, the same year he gave his talk, an estimated $23 billion were spent on the program, over time, that number would increase to $45 billion. The gravity of Chain's speech was contrasted by some of the more fraternal behavior Weiss witnessed. Drinking scotch, smoking cigars, chugging beer, and perhaps most famously, urinating wherever they pleased. In 1991, a reporter for People magazine named Dirk Matheson also snuck inside the grove. He observed as much as he could before he was forcibly removed from the property. Allegedly, his story was meant to run on August 5, 1991, but it never hit the press. The piece was killed by an editor. It's worth mentioning that executives of Time Warner, the company that owned People, happened to be members of the Bohemian Club. Weiss's limited account seemed to be as good as it was going to get. Until... In July 2000, a talk show radio host and conspiracy theorist of dubious reputation, Alex Jones, infiltrated the Grove. He even managed to film one of their biggest rituals, the cremation of care. Jones's camera was hidden inside a shoulder bag. He'd cut a hole for the lens. Using the group's numbers to his advantage, around 1,500 drunk men, he managed to blend in. It didn't hurt, of course, that he was a white man of average height and build, like nearly all the members and invited guests. The footage he recorded shows what resembles a pagan ceremony, and it happens in the heart of the grove at sunset, most members sit and watch. One man, known as the High Priest, leads the ceremony. He wears a silver robe and a red cape. With him are roughly 20 or so men, dressed in black and red robes. Many hold torches. The High Priest's voice is broadcast to you through speakers all around. He begins with the words... The owl is in his leafy temple. Let all within the grove be reverent before him. Lift up your heads, O ye trees, and be ye lift up, ye ever-living spires. For behold, here is Bohemia's shrine, and holy are the pillars of this house. Weaving spiders, come not here. 
Weaving spiders come not here. That's the motto in the grove, the creed, the testament. Leave business at home. The high priest continues as a live orchestral symphony fills the air. The music becomes a score for the ceremony, punctuating the words to lift up their meaning. And it all crescendos into one moment, the climax, where a group of men drag out the figure of a man in a coffin and set it on fire. He is their effigy. The man is not alive. It's not even flesh. It's a metal skeleton wrapped in paper. The effigy's name, according to members of the Bohemian Club, is Care. And as the flames of Care and his coffin rise up to light the face of the stone owl behind them, a song is sung. The lyrics go, No fire, no fire, no fire. Let it be kindled in the world where care is nourished on the hates of men and drive him from this grove. One flame alone must light this fire. One flame alone must light this fire. A pure eternal flame, a pure eternal flame. A last within the lamp of fellowship upon the altar of Bohemia. As the ceremony comes to a close, someone cries, be gone, detested care. Once again, midsummer sets us free. And fireworks erupt, lighting up the sky above the lake. And then the festivities, the revelry, and the madness really begins. Coming up, the Bohemian Club's known ties to the Supreme Court and the Oval Office. Now, back to the story. Most of what we know about the secret Bohemian Club is thanks to the brave individuals who have managed to infiltrate its seemingly impenetrable grove. Occasionally, the odd photo or program might find its way to the public after a member dies and their mementos exchange hands. But not every recon mission has been as successful as the one that led to Alex Jones's video of the cremation of care ceremony in 2000. We opened the episode with the story of Richard McCaslin, or the Phantom Patriot, who snuck into the Grove in 2002. He was arrested and sentenced to 11 years in prison, not only for trespassing, but also for arson. He set their rec hall on fire while openly carrying a number of weapons. We should mention that McCaslin considers himself a real-life superhero, a la the graphic novel Watchmen. His other beliefs include the notion that President Obama's ancestors were ancient reptilian aliens. But while McCaslin may not find much support in all of his opinions, he's certainly not alone in his belief that the Bohemian Grove is hiding something. Nor was he the first or the last to get arrested for sneaking inside. In July 2008, a reporter for Vanity Fair was arrested for snooping on the Bohemian Grove property. He claimed he was writing a story about the Bohemian Club's ethical treatment of the Redwoods. He believed they might have been cutting down the legally protected trees. 
In January 2011, reporters for History Channel's Decoded were arrested for trespassing. Allegedly, they were held on bail for nine hours before being released. Other attempts at infiltration have been virtual. Hackers have retrieved photos from emails of club members like Colin Powell. In 2012, Occupy Bohemian Grove protesters gathered at its front gates. In response, dozens of police in riot gear lined the entrance to prevent anyone from going inside. Dogs patrolled the perimeter. After a speech from activist Cindy Sheehan, one of the protesters, an elderly man, got into a heated argument with a police officer. He was struck down, handcuffed, and arrested. But sometimes it's the quieter forms of protest that make the biggest impact. To this day, 84-year-old Mary Moore collects all the information that she can get her hands on from employees. And largely through Mary's efforts, we've been able to piece together some of what happens every July in the Redwoods behind her house, including programs of the Lakeside Talks from years past. Well, because we don't know the exact content of each talk, a lot of inferring needs to happen. All we have to go on is the date, the name of the speech, and the person who delivered it. But in many cases, connecting the dots isn't exactly difficult. In 1997, four years before 9-11, the former director of the CIA, James Woolsey, delivered a speech. It was called Rogues, Terrorists, and Two Weimar's Redux, National Security in the Next Century. That same year, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia delivered a speech called Church, State, and the Constitution. In 2004, talks included... Did terrorists expect the World Trade Towers to fall, the long war of the 21st century, and the coming virtual soldier? In 2005, the case for immigration restriction, nuclear considerations, the way ahead, and dark energy in the runaway universe. In 2011, the founder of Fox News Channel, Rupert Murdoch, delivered a talk named The Future of News. Years later, political discourse became dominated by fake news and its impact on the democratic process. These speeches were made by governors, secretaries of state, biologists, economists, doctors, presidential advisors, professors, businessmen, generals, and admirals, all at the top of their fields. The club has allegedly stopped printing materials to prevent their talks from leaking. We may never know what was said or what will be said. And for individuals like Mary Moore, that's exactly the problem. The titles alone indicate that the discussions affect the future of every American, and in many cases, every citizen of the world. And that's before we get to speeches made by the United States presidents. Sitting presidents don't usually visit the Grove while they're in office. Taking two weeks off from leading a country to burn effigies, enact rituals, and get drunk in the woods might, say, draw unwanted attention from the press.
So presidents usually appear before they are elected, and in some cases, right before. Don't take our word for it. Take Richard Nixon's. If I were to choose the speech that gave me the most pleasure and satisfaction in my political career, it would be my lakeside speech at the Bohemian Grove in July 1967. In many important ways, it marked the first milestone on my road to the presidency. It appears that the Bohemian Grove has a history of setting presidents on their path to power, even if it's just planting the seed of an idea. In 1995, George Bush Sr. allegedly introduced his son to the Bohemian Club. He told them that George W. would make a great president one day. In fact, apparently except for Donald Trump, every Republican president since 1923 has appeared at the Grove. And most, if not all of them, before they were ever elected. Which has individuals like Mary Moore asking, who actually chooses the leader of the free world? If one thing is clear about the Bohemian Club, it's that it's not what one would call a bipartisan institution, nor a diverse one. Its demographics are almost exclusively wealthy, white, conservative men. But to be clear, it doesn't have to be bipartisan or diverse. It's a private social club. It's not public, and it's not a branch of government, at least on the surface and according to the IRS. And as such, they can include and exclude whomever they see fit. But that hasn't stopped them from getting taken to court. In 1978, the Bohemian Club was sued for discrimination by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Not because they wouldn't allow women in the club, but because they refused to hire female employees. The club fought tooth and nail against the case. Why? Because the Bohemian Club believed that having women on site would impact the behavior of their members. Most notably, their freedom to, quite literally, urinate wherever they pleased. The act of peeing on trees is, for whatever reason, incredibly important to the club's culture. So important that they fought the case all the way to the California Supreme Court. Ultimately, the judge ruled in favor of the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. The Grove was forced to hire female staff members. Allegedly, this was treated as something of a running joke. The women would still be, quote, where they belonged meaning in the kitchen and dining areas, which, if true, says quite a bit about the values that the club upholds. And the values they promote seem to give the most rise to conspiracy theories. For instance, we know that the motto of the Bohemian Club is weaving spiders come not here. It's a line from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. At face value, it means don't bring your outside concerns and business to the Grove. But if that's the case, it almost seems to be in direct contrast to the types of conversations that are actually happening during the Lakeside Talks. And if business isn't meant to be conducted in the Grove, why did Ernest Lawrence, J. Robert Oppenheimer, and other so-called fathers of the atomic bomb hold meetings at the Grove in September 1942? 
immediately before the notorious Manhattan Project that led to the creation of the atomic bomb began. Well, then there's the pageantry, the theatrics of it all. The bizarre, seemingly pagan cremation of care ceremony aside, theater plays an integral role in their gathering every year. There are two types of theater, hijinks and lowjinks. Hijinks are the more grand, elaborate pieces, like what's known as the Grove Play. Lowjinks are smaller, less complex productions, but higher low. Members of the club commit themselves to writing, rehearsing, and performing original works of theater, many of which fall under the category of satire. In fact, theater plays such an integral role that there's apparently a jinx committee on their board of directors. That committee chooses one musical and one non-musical piece to perform each year. In order to fill female roles, the men dress in drag. Jack London, author of books like Call of the Wild and White Fang, allegedly wrote one of the Grove plays. His was titled The Acorn Planter, a California forest play. Others include The Valley of the Moon, Red is the Grass, The Triumph of Bohemia, and The Owl and Care. And they aren't low budget. In 1975, the Grove play cost somewhere between twenty dollars and $30,000, the equivalent of around $140,000 today. And then there's the drunken stupors, the revelry, the peeing, the bacchanal. In a sense, the Bohemian Grove is a bunch of middle-aged men acting like frat boys at a cake party. Which is all well and good, but you have to remind yourself that, in many ways, these are the men that effectively run a large portion of our world. In some cases, the men who could quite literally end it at the press of a button. Supposedly, they're there to party. Maybe one night they black out from drinking and fall asleep with a cigar in their mouth. And the next day, around lunchtime, they're sitting in bleachers in the heart of the grove, listening to a speech about the fate of our world as we know it. It doesn't add up. And that's not all. The group has a patron saint, supposedly the embodiment of their ideals. St. John of Nepomuk, a Christian priest who lived in the 1300s and heard the confessions of the Queen of Bohemia. Bohemia here refers to an old name for the Czech Republic, not Bohemianism, the concept. According to legend, John of Nepomuk refused to relay to the king what the queen had confessed to him. As a result, the king had him drowned. John was willing to die to protect her secrets. In the grove, there's a statue of St. John carved into one of the trees. He's raising his finger up to his lips telling all the members of the club to keep their mouths shut about what they see and hear. And then there's the owl, a 30-foot symbol that looms larger than any Christian symbol on their grounds. Which could mean a number of things. Owls are a symbol of knowledge and learning, often associated with the Greek goddess of wisdom, Athena. It's also a creature of the night, a bird of prey with the ability to see in the dark. It also happens to be the personal emblem of a man named Adam Weishaupt. 
If the name sounds familiar, it's because in 1776 he founded his own secret society, and he called it the Illuminati. And the Illuminati aren't the only secret society that has been linked to the Bohemian Club. In fact, they share a number of members with one of America's most famous, the Skull and Bone Society. A society that has become almost synonymous with power and secrecy. And it's the secrecy of the Bohemian Club that has given rise to a number of theories regarding what's really happening in the depths of the Grove, including murder, sex work, Satanism, and child abuse. We've weeded through all of them and selected the three most prominent to discuss next week. Theory number one, the Bohemian Club practices paganism and sacrifices real, live humans, possibly to Satan himself. Theory number two, it's not a club at all, but a secret society using their power, influence, and an invisible hand to try and create a new world order. Theory number three, the Bohemian Club members are responsible for the creation of the atomic bomb, and they hold the keys to the destruction of our planet. Paganism, billionaires, Christianity, drag, Bohemianism, effigies, owls, Shakespeare. The Grove and its club are a peculiar cocktail. We only know some of its ingredients, and we can only imagine how each one goes together. Not to mention what happens when you take a sip. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday to explore what secrets the Bohemian Grove holds. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also enjoy ParCast original Secret Societies, which pulls back the mask on groups like the Bohemian Club. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Connor Sampson, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.